Well, it's happened again. The Winter Olympics has a host. If I sound disappointed, I am. And no, it's has nothing to do with being anti-Canadian or anti-Olympian, but I'm waiting for the tipping point in all of this. The Olympics, the IOC, it's a bit of a mess, right? Would you agree? It's a bit of a mess. When we look at what has happened in countries that have been forced to jump through the hoops and hurdles that the IOC creates in order that you host an Olympic Games, it's disgusting. It's terrible. Look at Sochi. Look at the ruins. Look at Rio. Look at the ruins. This kind of stuff shouldn't happen. And yet, it will continue to happen until finally they look around and say, Hey, uh, okay, all cities of the world. Here we go. All cities of the world. Listen up. Who wants to host our games? Okay, not all at once. All right, let's, let's try that again. All cities of the world. Who wants to host our games? Anyone? Hello? Is this thing on? That's what we need. That's exactly what we need. And unfortunately, it's not going to happen. And here's why. I'm not looking for the Olympics to die. I like the Olympics. I really enjoy watching what athletes can do at that high a level. It's just time that the IOC takes a little bit of medicine and makes some changes. So in this case, we were down to, as countries, Italy and Switzerland and Sweden. And in the end, Italy is going to host the 2026 Olympics. And we have already heard the Prime Minister of Italy telling all voters that his country is united behind the project. They went for nine hours. Now, the IOC has had to relax a few things. You know, there have been financial guarantees in past games that aren't there now. So the, the, the change you could argue is happening, I don't buy it. I don't buy that the change is completely happening. I would like to see them look around and go, hello, anyone want to do this? And when no one does, then they're the ones who have to arrange things to work a little bit better. We've had some great suggestions in the past and we have an excellent spot in London where we have a Center for Olympic Studies at Western University. And they look at this. And one of the proposals has been for the Winter Games, because of the cost, because you have to build a speed skating venue, because you have to build a ski jumping venue, a bobsled and luge track, you have so many enormous costs, let alone what you have to do to build an athlete's village. What you need is kind of a continental representative where you rotate it around. And as much as that sounds, well, yeah, yeah, but we want all countries to be eligible. Yeah, but when the countries are eligible, they wind up spending money they don't have and things get really nasty for their people. And you don't want that. And the IOC has never seemed to care about that. Now when it's a little harder to find hosts... Yeah, they've relaxed some of the rules. No, I was really hoping this would be the time where it was, hello, hello, but it didn't happen. We've got another host. Maybe they'll have to relax rules even more. Maybe we get to a better playing field. I don't know. We've got a lot of things to do on the show today. In a half hour from now, 
We're going to talk with Rob Mitchell. He is, of course, a Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited spokesperson. And we'll get caught up on where the casino in London stands. It does not appear that it is going to Western Fair unless there's some kind of quick turnaround or, or I guess, 180 is a better way to describe it. But we've got Gateway Casinos set to go before the planning committee. They are looking at a number of of different things to go along with this casino. And in fact, some of those are going to be on display today at an open house that is going to be held from 3 until 7 right across from the railway station on Richmond at the Chamber of Commerce. So we'll talk to Rob about that. We are also going to give you an opportunity to win Rolling Stones tickets a little later on in the show in about an hour from now. So if you know any Rolling Stones fans, be ready to try and win those tickets for them. Or if you are one, you'll get an opportunity We're going to talk about the Dirty Sneaker program on the show today, Kawhi Leonard, the NHL draft, the return of David Saint-Jacques from space. But in a moment, we're going to talk with a very courageous Londoner. He's a dad. And not long ago, he lost his daughter, Kate, to suicide. And in that happening, he decided we've got to do something. And so he has just completed a bike ride that went from London all the way to Halifax, made it to Halifax on the weekend, 2,200 kilometers. But there was a very important reason that he did this, sure in the memory of his daughter Kate, but also for one other thing that goes hand in hand with what happens at the St. Joseph's Healthcare Foundation and also at St. Joseph's the hospital. And we will talk about that when we return on London Live. Underway on a Monday, the United States and Italy are in an, or sorry, the United States and Spain are in action right now at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. And they sit tied 1-1 into the second half. We'll update you on that. Canada, along with Londoners, Shalina Zadorsky and Jesse Fleming will be in action today starting at 3 o'clock in their round of 16 match. It is a win or don't continue on in the tournament kind of a situation. So we'll update soccer as we go along through the day. But Doug Harris, joins us next from Halifax, where he just completed that ride. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Doug Harris started 27 days ago to cycle all the way to Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's a long ride. That's 2,200 kilometers. And he did it for a reason. And he did it to try and get everybody talking about Zero Suicide Initiative, which is something that you can find at St. Joe's here in London. And it was something that became a part of his life simply because of the loss of his daughter, Kate. We are happy to be joined right now by Doug Harris from Halifax. Doug, first off, what was it like to reach the end of the ride, the end of 2,200 kilometers? Uh, well, a little overwhelming, you know. Um, uh, it was a long ride, a lot of weather, a uh, lot of mixed emotions. It was a pretty emotional ride at times. Uh, glad it's over, but feeling like I'm not done yet. Well, I mean, that's that's very encouraging to hear. When you plan this out, it's usually about planning out what you're going to be doing, in this case, the bike ride. But how long did it take before it really wasn't just about the bike ride? It, it was becoming about a whole lot more. 
Well, I guess it never really was all about the bike ride, but it kind of, in my mind, it was more about the ride at the beginning, you know. Um, I just wanted to ride my bike, I kept saying, you know, and, and it's mush or snowballed from there. And uh, uh, and in the last several days, it really just occurred to me, it wasn't about the bike ride at all. That was just kind of a tool to get people interested it, it, it's a, it's about the zero suicide initiative it's about making a change it's about trying to help people and we are going to talk about zero suicide initiative and it's something that has been created at the St. Joseph's or created through the help of the St. Joseph's Health Foundation uh, but Doug let's let's kind of look at at the the reason that you did start out on your bike and the reason that you do want to raise awareness about the zero suicide initiative you lost your daughter yes that's right we lost our daughter kate to suicide uh back in august of 2016 doug what was happening in kate's life at that time you know what uh on the outside her life was fabulous and and even she would would have admitted to that you know um uh, she had a great career with the Army. Uh, she was stationed in Halifax. She loved Halifax. She had good friends. Uh, she did volunteer work. Um, on Again, on the outside, on the surface, she couldn't have had a better thing going. Um, but um, she suffered from depression. And uh, in, her, in her darkest hours, she just couldn't cope, apparently. Now, was it something that she had suffered with throughout her life, even as a younger person? She did, yes, she did. Uh, We always thought it was under control, though. You know, we had no idea what was lurking just below the surface. And when someone moves away from home, that's that's kind of one of those natural things, isn't it? Where where you you aren't able to see them day to day, you 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 aren't able to talk to them on a day to day basis, right? That's right. That's right. And of course, when we did which was regular, um, um, everything was great. Uh, We did find, though, the last couple of months uh, when we now know she was contemplating this, uh, she was more distant. She actually consciously was separating herself from those that were closest to her. We're talking with Doug Harris. Doug has just completed a 2,200-kilometer ride, and as he has pointed out, it... It's simply the vehicle to to get a conversation going, to get a message out there, and to talk about Zero Suicide Initiative. And it's something that has been in place at St. Joe's. Doug, when, when you first decided to do this ride, how did you come in contact with Zero Suicide Initiative and, and want to make sure that, that people found out about that so that, that you could do something about what had happened in your own life? Well, it kind of started through uh, the Breakfast of Champions, uh, which is sponsored by St. Joe's and uh, CMHA. Uh, It's an annual event, and we were at it. Actually, our company was nominated uh, through our work within our company with with, uh, mental health. And uh, through that, I got to know the folks there and learn about what they were doing. And um, I liked what they're doing. I like the people. Uh, They're very committed. And uh, I learned about the Zero Suicide Initiative and uh, felt that it was a good fit with what I wanted to do, which was have something positive come out of our personal tragedy. And in doing what you've done, in riding the bike, in talking with people, what are you hearing from people? Uh, 
mental health is, is a huge, huge problem that nobody wants to talk about or, or not enough people want to talk about. People struggle day-to-day quietly, you know, in private. Uh, it needs to be out in the open. People need to come forward and, and speak about their experiences, speak about um, um, the help that they need. Um, it, it, suicide is not a dirty word. Mental health is not a dirty word. And uh, the more we can get that out there, that people need to be more open, the, the better off we'll all be. The more people find out about your particular journey, going from London all the way to Halifax, do you find that that they open up to you when they talk to you about it? Uh, we, yes, absolutely, and even before, you know, when, when people become aware of our personal experience, um, they are more willing to talk to us about their experiences, and um, unbelievable, incredible the stories, the um, just on this trip, the people that have been following us on our Facebook page, uh, um, you know, with their own personal stories of tragedy, uh, either those that have contemplated or attempted suicide or uh, the families of those left be- that have been left behind. Uh, a lot of them have been following us and really reached out to us. Uh, you know, one story, I, you know, I, on the road, I was um, at a coffee shop. I had made a wrong turn and... Uh, um, this gentleman came up to me as I was trying to figure out which way I was supposed to be going. We started talking about my bike ride, and I told him what I was doing, and his jaw dropped. He lost his daughter, and uh, he confessed to me he's never talked to anybody. Uh, he just doesn't know how to talk about it, doesn't know who to talk to about it. And uh, But because I shared my experience, he, he opened up to me, and it turned into quite a long conversation, and uh, hopefully uh, we helped him Um, open up a little bit about his feelings. Doug Harris joining us. Doug has ridden from London to Halifax and is certainly looking to raise more awareness about Zero Suicide Initiative. Doug, you mentioned the the physical toll of riding the bike, but at the same time you're you're riding a bike, you've got a lot of time to think. How did you manage that on the road? One kilometer at a time, you know, your, your thoughts uh, vary. I mean, uh, one moment I would be thinking about Kate, the next moment I might be thinking about um, my legs um, uh, and the scenery. I mean, in, we, we live in an incredible country and there's so much to see in it. And uh, it's a fascinating, my bike is a fascinating way to see it because uh, you can take it all in one, one, one pedal at a time, you know, and, uh, um, but um, yeah, you just, and sometimes you think, I can't go on, you know, I'm done. Uh, but, but then I'd remember, uh, all the folks that were behind me and trying to support me on this. And, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe a couple hours later, you'd be over the pain. There would be no pain. The wind would turn around a little bit and you'd just be flying down the road and you'd be energized and exhilarated. Doug, in finishing this, coming to that finish line in Halifax, take us to that moment. What was that like for you? Um, a little surreal, you know, a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, honestly, I didn't feel as great as I thought I would. Um, you know, I was great, felt awesome to, you know, to accomplish this ride at my age. I'm not that young, uh, but, uh, almost a little bit empty. Um, you know, like there's still much more work to be done. Uh, like we're not finished. Uh, we haven't touched enough people yet, um, uh, which, is why I certainly appreciate interviews like this, so we can try to touch more people. Um, there's still so much work to be done, so a lot of mixed 
emotions. And we finished right across the street from uh, where my daughter Kate worked. That was the armories in Halifax. So uh, um, I was looking at the building that she worked in and had a little bit of a meltdown, you know, a little. But um, yeah, there's still work to be done. Well, the website is For the Love of Kate, I Ride. How how did you come up with that? Uh, pre- pretty obvious. We, we loved Kate very, very much. Uh, my wife and I uh, tried to come up with names, something that was easy to remember. And that, that just, you know, I was writing for Kate. I was writing for a lot of other folks, too. Uh, I'm writing for a lot more folks than I realized I ever would be. Uh, but... Uh, we just want to keep riding, whether it's on a bike or just riding through life to try to see if we can make things a little bit better. Well said. Doug, thank you so much. Again, visit for the love of Kate, I ride.ca. You can read through Doug's blog. It'll take you through the entire journey. And there are other mm-hmm. important links to go to as well. And certainly if you Google zero suicide initiative, that's something else that can be very, very helpful. Doug, Hey, what you did was incredibly courageous. Uh, congratulations on achieving it, and thank you for saying you're you're going to to keep doing something in in order to to keep trying to to make things happen and, and minimize the loss that we experience. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Thank you, Doug Harris, Londoner, and a guy who just rode from London to Halifax and arrived raising awareness for. Zero Suicide Initiative. And if you look at the numbers, here's the way it boils down. I'll give you a few numbers on this. 4,000 Canadians die by suicide each and every year. So if we go back to 2017, something we talked about on 980 CFPL when it came out was Zero Suicide Initiative. And basically what that was was a system-wide quality improvement. So St. Joseph's looked around and said, okay, What can we do so that we have the goal of reducing the number of suicides in the healthcare system to zero, wrapping kind of care and attention around the individual? Sure, there are programs, but these are targeted toward the individual. And when you look at the initiative they undertook, they laid it out and and have plans that are still kind of continuing and they go through until the end of 2020. And what it did was it it started looking at people in the the healthcare system, but now it looks at everybody. And as Doug says, as much as that stigma is, is lessened, perhaps it's not gone. You know, look at his story running into somebody in a Tim Hortons and they just ended up being two dads talking. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm cycling. My daughter committed suicide. And the other dad's jaw drops open. And he says, mine did too. And I've never told anybody that before. And the two of them have a long talk. And you would think, yeah, well, now, now that we have it and it's, it's out there in the public that it's okay to talk about mental health, well, that, that's got it. Not quite. Not quite. So please take a look at... The St. Joseph's Healthcare Foundation website, if you actually, if you Google St. Joseph's Healthcare Foundation and zero suicide, you'll get all of the information and the links that you need. And certainly take a look at what Doug has been able to do. He blogged about it the entire way, whether it was the weather or how he was feeling or you name it. 
He basically led everybody into his story as he continued from London to Halifax and completed that on the weekend. And you can visit that website at For the Love of Kate iRide.ca. We're going to take a break. We'll have news next. And then we're going to talk with Rob Mitchell from Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited. Get caught up on where that casino in London sits and talk about an open house that begins in 90 minutes from now. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. In five minutes from now on London Live, we're going to get the latest on the Gateway Casino project. Seems that we get some information, then all of a sudden things get quiet for a little while. Then we get some more information. Well, there is an open house today. Rob Mitchell's going to join us, and we'll talk about how this would look, because they've got some really good artwork illustrating how this would all play out. Now, it is still on the site that is not Western Fair, so that much we do know. And we'll have to ask Rob, you know, how did that kind of play out and we'll kind of refresh our memories a little bit but we'll talk with Rob about Gateway Casinos in just a moment at the Women's World Cup of Soccer again Canada plays Sweden today starting at three o'clock Londoners Jesse Fleming and Shalina Zadorsky set to go in that one the United States has just scored on a penalty kick so they've gone ahead of Spain 2-1 and that was in the 76th minute so things were getting a little bit tense for the United States. Spain had scored kind of on a giveaway by the American keeper, and that had tied the match. And so Canada and Sweden will play at 3 o'clock. Winner goes on. If you don't win, that's it. Your tournament is over. And Sweden is no pushover in this tournament at all. At, at all. Uh, the other thing that we're going to do a little later on is talk about the NHL entry draft. I want to congratulate Londoners Ryan Suzuki and Mason Millman, and also two members of the London Knights, Connor McMichael and Matt Veguskov. All four were selected by NHL teams over the weekend, and so we'll talk about that and, and kind of what the draft means in the grand scheme of things. Plus, they're looking at doing another World Cup of hockey and wondering whether or not to be involved in the Olympics as well. They've got to realize that there's there's a tipping point for guys who play the game at a high level. You know, it's it's not a, hey, this year you're going to get to go, and next year a whole bunch of different people are going to get to go, and the year after that still a whole bunch of different people are going to go. It's always the elite players who play. And so if you have a World Cup, then two years later you have the Olympics, and then you have a World Cup and the Olympics, eventually you're going to have players starting to say, you know, this is a lot. And I've got to protect the investment that is me because I make my money, and there's a lot of money to be made. I make my money playing in the National Hockey League. And you want to bet owners are thinking the same thing, and coaches are thinking the same thing. And all players would love to go and play at the Olympics. So it's going to be the World Cup. If they have to take one off, that's what they're going to take off. They'll say, you know, use the words load management whatever you want to use. They'll say, this This is the thing that I'm going to miss out on this time because I want to make sure that I'm in peak shape for what I'm paid to be in, in shape for. It's like having a big hobby. It is. It's like having a hobby. So let's say your hobby is, I don't know, adult downhill ski racing. And you have a job that pays you Monday to Friday. 
and you have a ski team that's doing really, really well, and you want to represent on that adult downhill ski race team. I don't even know if that's a thing. And suddenly your employer says, you know, uh, this whole downhill ski thing, that's going to hurt you if you happen to get injured and can't do your job Monday to Friday, isn't it? Yeah, 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 but I, it's, it's really fun to play and then downhill ski and all that. It's fun to do this. Yeah, but you've got to make a decision, and players will do that, and they will miss out on the World Cup. I will tell you that right now. More on that a little later on. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll talk with Rob Mitchell, spokesperson for Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If we go back to 2017, we have seen Gateway Casinos operating the slot operations at Western Fair District. And we know that that lease is set to expire in 2020. And we got all kinds of talk between 2017 and, what, about a year ago now? About the possibility of having a full-fledged casino. And then there were discussions with Western Fair. And then back in, I want to say, December, it was announced that we had a lease agreement for a property in the southwest end of the city, right by the Spivak cement plant. And that's where this project would be built. In other words, not at Western Fair anymore, but it would go to the southwest end of the city. And now we're looking for the next phase of what's taking place, because this this is still something that has to be approved by the City of London. However, today, from 3 to 7, there is an open house that Gateway Casinos and Entertainment is hosting, and that is taking place so that we can get more information about what is going on. Well, if you can't make the open house, or if you want some information before the open house begins this afternoon, we can make that happen for you on London Live. Rob Mitchell joins us right now, spokesperson with Gateway Casinos and Entertainment. Rob, we just kind of went through some of the information that has come out on this, but it seems that information comes out and then we go through some quiet periods and then we hear more. Why don't we first get caught up on where this project sits right now? Well, Mike, I think we're really making progress right now and uh, we're nearing the finish line. We have a date to go before the Planning and Environment Committee on July 22nd and the entire council will vote on the, on the 30th of July and that will at last approve a site plan and a building permit and let us go forward with a brand-new casino on Wonderland Road. In terms of all of the hurdles you feel you've overcome, what have been the most challenging? Well, the difficulty was the negotiations with the fairground, and it was there's no real, uh, no real blame in this. It was a lot of misunderstanding about what we could do at the fairground, our perception uh, going in that we wouldn't have any uh, hurdles with the fairground, that we could be grandfathered in to that location. And then uh, we found that uh, there were some outstanding uh, regulatory uh, issues that had to be dealt with, some compliance issues on the part of OLG. Then, uh, then uh, there was an archaeological survey that found some remains on the site that caused further delay. There were uh, cost-sharing issues and issues with uh, with the existing structure and be to, with the existing architecture and with, combined with a new build. There were just a bunch of things that inspired uh, against that 
going forward. And then ultimately, we came up with a new site on Wonderland Road, and um, which is, a, for all intents and purposes for us, unlike the fairground, something of a green field, although the Spivak cement plant is currently there. Um, this gives us a different uh, uh footprint, if you like, but a, a brand new opportunity. And we're pretty excited. We think we've come up with a really good plan. We're going to take that to council. As I said, we're taking it to the planning committee. Uh, we're in the process right now of doing the reveal to the city staff and to the individual councillors. And uh, we've invited the public to come in and have a look. And um, I honestly feel that uh, we are approaching the finish line on this and we may soon have shovels in the ground. We're talking with Rob Mitchell, Director of Communications and Public Affairs with Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited. So you mentioned the open house. Let's kind of go through that right now. Where and when for the open house tonight? Don't show up at at the proposed site, right? Uh, No, no. Come out to the Chamber of Commerce on on Palm Mall. Um, I think most folks know where the Chamber is. Uh, Jerry McCartney um, has very kindly let us use this facility. It's a good spot for us. Uh, lots of room and lots of uh, uh, opportunity for us to have uh, artist renderings up. We've we've uh, invested in a lot of visual materials to show what it is we plan to build, and uh, we have all our restaurant brands on display. We've got four uh, unique restaurants that we want to build within the casino project itself. We've got two uh, cocktail lounges in addition to that. We'll have an entertainment space at the Match Eatery and Public House. So we have all of that on uh, on uh, display. Okay, so four restaurants would be put into the structure itself? Yep, yep. Okay. Yep. We'll have four restaurants. We'll have our, our high-end steakhouse, which is the Atlas Steak and Fish Restaurant. Very, very popular on the West Coast in B.C. and uh, recently in Alberta. We'll have the Match Eatery and Public, uh, Public House, which is our sports and entertainment bar. It's uh, kind of a, a family restaurant by day and a nightclub by night. Uh, we have a stage in there for live musicians and live entertainment big screen sports broadcasting, pay-per-view events, that sort of thing. We have our buffet, which is a signature brand with us as well, uh, which um, we mix up all the time with theme nights. Uh, you know, we, we change the menu every day, so what you see at breakfast, what you see at dinner, what you see at lunch is constantly evolving. We'll have a Nova bar, which is our cocktail bar, and we're going to have, uh, we'll have another bar on the gaming floor as well. And uh, we're bringing for the first time to Ontario the Chow Lucky Noodle Bar, which is one I'm particularly fond of, which is a big hit for us out in the West Coast. So we've got four restaurants across all price points there. Um, we have a match already open down in uh, the first match we opened in Ontario. We opened in Point Edward. And uh, just about uh, two months ago now, we opened, uh, we opened the Hanover Casino and we have a match and a buffet in there. Uh, but we're, this is our biggest, most ambitious build for Gateway in Ontario. This is the biggest uh, casino project to date. It's a $75 million investment. Uh, you know, we're hoping to create uh, 700 new jobs in the community in addition to the 300 jobs we currently have at the fairground site. So it's, uh, we're very excited and we finally, like I said, I think, uh, to your point, it's been kind of coming out in dribs and drabs, but uh, I think now we've we've really made some significant progress. We're talking with Rob Mitchell. Rob is with Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited, and we're looking at an open house tonight that is taking place at the Chamber of Commerce. What are the, the times that people can come again? 
Uh, from 3 o'clock on to 7 o'clock, just drop in. Uh, uh, the chamber's right across the street from the old uh, keg there uh, by the railroad tracks on, on Richmond Street, just at Palm Mall there. Um, and uh, we'll have our staff on hand. Our senior management team will be there to greet uh, people. Uh, we'll have lots of visual displays, lots of information to provide folks and uh, answer any questions they may have. Rob, did moving to a different site away from Western Fair open up some of the opportunities for some of the things you've just described to us? Well, it's given us, it's, it led us, we were working, um, at the fairground we had two buildings that we had to deal with. We had the existing facility where we were, and then we had, I believe it's the Prospect Building that was uh, under consideration uh, as a teardown. And this is a, we, there's no, there's nothing here in this circumstance on Wonderland Road that we have to preserve or we have to consider uh, keeping operational during the build. This way, we've got a clear build on Wonderland Road. We can keep the casino at the fairground operating right until the last hour before we cut the ribbon and open the doors on on the new site. So it's very advantageous to us that way, and it won't provide any interruption to our guests in terms of enjoying the existing facilities, and we can build some anticipation for the new site. All right. So you mentioned that not much more, and we could even see shovels in the ground. Let's just kind of conclude things with talking about what those next steps would be. You appear before... The Planning and Environment Committee uh, at uh, City Hall, and that is on the 22nd of July, and that's a five-member committee. It's chaired by Anna Hopkins. They will evaluate um, our site plan, and uh, they'll look at the blueprints. They'll look at the elevation, what the uh, what we will look like in terms of curbside appeal, the setback from the sidewalk, the kind of landscaping we want to bring. They'll look at what we call the gaming box, which is the, the actual uh, casino floor. We're looking at over 100,000 square feet of space there, and then they'll see where the, the restaurants will come in, the traffic flow access for uh, service vehicles, as well as... Uh, customer traffic, uh, customer parking. Um, they'll look at all of that. And then from there, and of course, um, they will seek the counsel of, uh, of the planning staff at the city. It will be addressed there, voted on, and a recommendation will be made. And then it will move forward to uh, the Committee of the Whole, the entire council, which is expected to vote on it on July 30th. And that will approve uh, the site plan and grant the building permits. And then from that point forward, we should be able to start to get shovels in the ground and start the build. Okay. Is there a chance that they could still bring Western Fair into the equation, or is that something that's not kind of on the table in all of this? Uh, at this point in time, I think uh, all three parties, the city, the fairground, and, and uh, Gateway, have resolved that we will uh, move forward with this new site on Wonderland. Okay. Well. We'll, remain op- we'll remain operational at the fairground until the end of the expiry of the lease, and then uh, we will transition to the new site. Today, between 3 and 7 at the Chamber of Commerce, right across from the old railway station. We really want to thank you for your time, Rob, and keep us up to date on what's coming next. Will do. Thank you, Mike. Rob Mitchell, spokesperson with Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited. So that is 3 to 7, an open house where you can see pictures of what we were talking about, and that will happen at the Chamber of Commerce. So as Rob says, crossing the old keg, Railway station, however you want to look at it. We will take a break. The United States still in the lead right now, trying to hang on against Spain at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. A couple of things happened over the weekend. 
at the Women's World Cup. And I want to focus in on one of them either before news or just after news, depending on how much time we have. But it really goes to show how things sit in international soccer. They are a little lopsided. We like to look at things from a North American perspective. But the world does not work that way at all. And I want to go back to something Declan Hill said not too long ago. The Nigerian women, after losing, staged a sit-in. And there's a reason that they did that. It had nothing to do with protesting a match. And Declan paints a, a great picture of what happened to a men's Nigerian team and it'll give you some insight into why the women's team decided to do what they did. More on that in just a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, more on that Nigerian soccer story. Just to illustrate some of the corruption that goes on, we kicked off the show today talking about the IOC and the fact that they have found a host for the 2026 Winter Games. It'll be Italy, it'll be Milan. And I was really hoping for the day when the IOC had nobody who wanted to play with them. And then they had to change. You know, you lose all your friends, all of a sudden you have to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing wrong? And I was hoping this would be the time for the IOC. Not so. Not so. I guess there's always next time. So I want to talk about corruption in soccer, period. And we'll do it after news because the Nigerian women's soccer team staged a sit-in this weekend. And before you go thinking, oh, what are they doing? What, are they mad over losing? No, no, it had nothing to do with that whatsoever. But before we go to news, let's say hi to our good friend Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you. I think you hit a good note there when you were saying that I think it's very important for everyone to have a hobby. Now, I'm thinking of these poor guys. Now, maybe I shouldn't use the word poor because they probably did something, of course, to get into prison. But I really was shocked and upset by the latest death. Uh, yeah, the, the latest death at the Elgin Middlesex Detention yes, Center. Absolutely. Yes. Well, don't do they not have baseball teams? Or they should really, what I would do if I had the money, I would ask each one of them what they would like to do. You know, if they like to cook, well, teach them how to cook. If they like to sports, well, get them involved in sports. If they like music, get them involved in music somehow. I mean, nobody could be locked up in a cage, which they are, 24-7 without being going nutty. Well, Marilyn, you just made a great argument for rehabilitation, and that's exactly what you hope happens. I mean, the problems at the EMDC, unfortunately, go far beyond things like Let's find them something to do. Let's let's find a way to rehabilitate individuals who are in there. It, it goes to the overcrowding. It goes to the inability to monitor some parts of the prison. It goes to the amount of drugs that are being brought in. It's, it's all of those things, unfortunately. And we'll find out more about this latest death, but any death is too many. And we've well, seen... Well, this is it, too. We've seen Even far too, too many. too many. And I was told by somebody that, oh, well, over the years, when you think of over the years, 14 deaths aren't that many, that the press blow it up. But 
no, I think two deaths or one death. Yeah, too many. In a place and where, one... believe it or not, as 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 much as there are dangerous individuals there, based on the actions that they have undertaken, you want it to be a safe place. Well, absolutely. You got to think of their families and uh, so on and so forth. But couldn't they have like a school room where? I'm sure most of them have had grade eight education. Well, if you're looking at federal prisons and things like that, then then that's that's a different story. In this particular case, I mean, we're not looking at people who are supposed to be at Elgin Middlesex Detention Center for long periods of time for long sentences. So I think that's maybe why why that sort of thing isn't talked about very much. Marilyn, thank you so much for the call. We'll talk thank again you. soon. I hope. Bye-bye, dear. Bye-bye. We've got a break for news. If you're on hold, please stay there. We will return in just a moment. This is London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFBL. It is a not bad Monday. Weather's warming up. We can make it even better. We're going to give you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. They are coming to Ontario this long Weekend. That's very close. And they're actually going to be at the Burles Creek event grounds. So we've got an opportunity for you to win Stones tickets in just a minute. All you'll have to do, we're a news talk station. We talk a lot. Uh, We're going to use some of the Rolling Stones talking, some of their lyrics. And if you can guess the song that those lyrics come from, you could be off to see the Rolling Stones in concert. That makes for a holiday weekend. Richard, thank you for hanging on. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you this afternoon, Mike? Not too bad. Very quickly, Marilyn, thank you right for bringing up what's going on out at EMDC. But unfortunately, there's been no political will in this province to do anything about it, whether it be the Liberals' right or whether it be the current Conservative government. Now, having said that, I was listening, Mike, to Rob Mitchell, and he was talking about all the positive things that they're going to bring from the West Coast to here. Without getting into it, all I've got to say, Rob, is I'm looking forward to that. But just please, right, I hope Gateway uh, Casinos leaves their scandals in B.C. where they belong and they don't bring them here to Ontario because we certainly have enough problems here as it is. As for the 700 new and part-time jobs that are going to be coming to Wonderland Road, I think that's wonderful and I think that's fantastic. Anybody that gets a job and able to pay their rent and put food on the table, right, and clothes on their children's back and shoes on their feet, I'm more than in support of that. But my question is, Mike, has LTC, have they committed themselves to providing public transportation to that area so the workers, right, can get to those jobs? Not all people are fortunate enough to own a vehicle. Look at the jobs, Mike, that we've got in the industrial area of London, right? And they're going begging, and the reason those jobs are going begging is because nobody has the uh, transportation, right, to be able to get to them. I spoke to a bus driver a couple of weeks ago, and he's been driving for this city for a number of years, and I won't say what route, because that'll give away his identity, but he said that 40% of London, he said LTC doesn't even cover it. He said, we have not kept up to the expansion and the growth of this city, he said, over the decades. So if we want these positions filled, Mike, obviously we're going to have to give them public transportation. So anyways, if you're listening to me out there, LTC, and if London Council's listening to me, I hope, right, that you're going to do something on that matter. On that note, Mike, thank you for listening to me, and you have a nice afternoon. Richard, great point. It really is. And we have seen this as a challenge. Now, if you missed it, 
Gateway Casinos and Entertainment Limited have an open house today, 3 to 7, at the Chamber of Commerce, which is across from the old keg or the old train station or however you want to look at it, Richmond, just south of Piccadilly. And that's where that open house is taking place, 3 to 7. They'll have information there. They're going before the planning committee. So these are things that will have to be ironed out because, yes, they are saying 700 jobs. What if we are dealing with people who don't have their own transportation, as Richard says? We do need to make sure that we are reaching, especially if you're looking at that many jobs. And we had Rob Mitchell from Gateway Casinos outlining four different restaurants and outlining a venue for entertainment, things like that. So, yes, jobs will be available there. It does take some planning. And let's hope that, yeah, this this does get to a point where you say, yeah, we've we've got this or we've got this shuttle or we've got this that happens and it will be taken care of. Richard, I, I can't imagine that they would have a seventy five million dollar investment in a structure and not have something that would seem as small as a bus route or a shuttle or something like that available. But like you, I haven't heard anything, so Richard will certainly look into that. All right. One thing that you'll need to be watching out for if you are not taking a bus around, but driving around certainly, if you're operating your own motor vehicle, or if you are walking around, if you're walking through one of our parks, remember when the Pokemon craze came through? Remember how crazy that got people on their phones? You'd see them in packs, and they would be playing Pokemon, which essentially gave a virtual world to play in where you'd walk along and your phone would all of a sudden tell you, oh, there's uh, this kind of Pokemon over there behind that tree. And then you'd go over and with a little ball, you'd try and flick and on your phone, capture it. So you're playing a virtual game in a real space. Remember that? People were all over Victoria Park. That kind of died down really fast. I don't know why that went from such a height to you don't see anybody doing it anymore. No idea. But what has just launched? Something very similar. However, it's a Harry Potter game. Not Pokemon, but a Harry Potter game where you have to run around and capture things. I think it's very similar to Pokemon. So if you do, and it has just launched, if you do see people in Victoria Park in those packs with their phones doing something that looks really strange, that's probably what they're doing. If you don't want to play that game, maybe you would like to play this game. The phone lines are open right now. 519-643-2222 is the number. That's 519-643-2222. That is the number. And we happen to have an opportunity for you to go and see the Rolling Stones, the Glorious Sons, and the Beaches, and Sloan, and One Bad Son, they are playing Canada Rocks at Burles Creek, which is just northeast of Barrie. But this is worth the trip. So what we're going to do right now, because we're a talk station, we're going to play you some Rolling Stones lyrics. All we need you to do is identify correctly the lyrics that we play. What song do those lyrics come from? If you can do it, then you, if you're the first person to do it, We'll be off to see the Stones and the Glorious Sons and the Beaches and Sloan and One Bad Sun all this weekend. Okay? We set? All right. Here come today's lyrics. 
No more will my green sea go turn a deeper blue. I could not foresee this thing happening to you. So, that's what we get. Jacqueline, can we, can we hear it one more time? No more will my green sea go turn a deeper blue. I could not foresee this thing happening to you. What Rolling Stones song does that come from? 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Jacqueline will find us a correct answer. All you have to do is name the song that those lyrics come from. We even threw a British accent on the computerized voice. Huh? If you know the answer, then 519-643-2222 is the number to call. We have the Women's World Cup taking place right now in soccer. The United States did win. The United States beat Spain 2-1, to so they have moved on. It was close, but they have moved on. And in just a little bit, we're going to be talking about Nigeria and some of the things that they're going through. We don't realize the corruption that exists. And I know that we could take this on a number of different levels, whether it is food, whether it is supplies to certain countries that get swallowed up and never get to the people that they are supposed to get to. So we'll discuss that in just a little minute. And uh, we will talk about the dirty sneakers program as well. But Jacqueline, can we Hear the lyrics one more time, just in case you don't want to win tickets, but you're playing along at home. Okay, one more time for the lyrics. Oh, actually, wait. We've got Ted, who knows the answer. Ted? Yes. What's the answer? Painted Black. You are exactly right. It is Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. How would you like to go and see the Stones this weekend? I would love to go see the Rolling Stones this weekend. Ted, you're off to see the Rolling Stones this weekend. Oh, man, that is that is so awesome. <laughs> Mike, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the show. <laughs> Hang on. We'll get some information from you. It is as easy as that. We'll have more Stones lyrics tomorrow and more tickets to give away. Rolling Stones, Glorious Suns, The Beaches, Sloan's going to make for a great day. And it comes up Saturday, June 29th. A little bit of a trek, but it's worth it. Just northeast of Barrie at the Burles Creek Outdoor I guess is it's an outdoor concert stage, right? Yeah. So you, there's even camping. I don't know whether it would be all full right now, but you can certainly look into that. So Nigerian soccer, I want to tell that story in just a moment because things get a little crazy. And if you hear the story of the sit-in by the Nigerian women's soccer team, immediately think, what, what are they protesting? I'll tell you when we come back. Plus, we'll talk about the Dirty Sneaker Program in London. Something that goes on year-round that if you have extra shoes in your house, it's a great place to put them. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. All right, I want to clarify something I certainly didn't know, and thank you, everyone who helps out when I don't know something. We were talking not too long ago with Richard, and Richard was saying we got to make sure that there is transportation out to what would be the the casino site if everything is signed off on. And I got a note from Cheryl, and Cheryl says the number 12 would go to the location at Wonderland and Warncliffe. The number 12 would go to the location at Wonderland and Warncliffe, no problem. So we don't even have I, – I had complete confidence that we would eventually have something there if there wasn't anything in place – but the number 12 already goes there. Cheryl, you are the best. Thank you for the information. 
We need to focus in on a little something right now. And it, it kind of shows where we sit. We're waiting for Canada and Sweden to begin play in the Women's World Cup of Soccer. And we've got a couple of London natives on Team Canada, Jesse Fleming and Shalina Zadorsky. Both have had a great tournament so far. And they'll be looking to move Canada into the quarterfinals with a win. And if that happens, well, that's very exciting. And that's where it kind of ends. They're there competing. And that's what they're doing. When you look at other countries... Sometimes not the same thing. Declan Hill is the author of The Fix and had some really interesting thoughts on the Nigerian Soccer Federation. And all of that seems to have reared its ugly head again because you had the Nigerian women's soccer team staging a protest over bonuses, bonuses that they claim stretch back to 2016. So in other words, they are to be paid this money for having represented their country, and it hasn't happened. And then you have a Nigerian soccer official coming forward saying, no, 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 all bonuses have been paid. And so the Nigerian women's soccer team is staging a sit-in. They were eliminated from the World Cup on the weekend. But they're staging a sit-in. And before you go thinking, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? Let me take you back to a conversation that we had with Declan Hill about the men's soccer program and, really, the Nigerian Soccer Federation. You have players that are really, really good that understand their value, understand what they're doing is difficult and that they need to be rewarded and are not being rewarded. In fact, they know that their rewards, their salaries, their bonuses are being stolen by their National Soccer Association. Let me give the listeners one example so they can see the concrete level of corruption. Nigeria was playing in the South Africa World Cup of 2010, so eight years ago. Um, They were booked to uh, play before the three biggest matches of their life, into a five-star hotel, good training facilities, whatever. The Nigerian officials uh, brought in their wives, girlfriends, various hangers-on, discovered there wasn't, quote, enough room at the hotel for the players. So they kicked the players out of the luxury hotel and booked them at a cheap motel beside a a highway uh, and then took much of their salaries and put it in their own pocket. And then the Nigerian government was so upset with the performance because Nigeria did very badly at that World Cup. They had an official inquiry, and they discovered that many of the players, you know, representing their country, wearing their shirts, uh, you know, playing a match before billions of people around the world, hadn't received their money and were staying in these cheap little motel, um, you know, beside the highway. That's how bad and endemic the corruption can be at the World Cup. See, and it's not just the men's game; it is the women's game as well. So. Do you immediately believe the soccer official? No, you don't. I mean, the corruption is unbelievable. Think about that. You've got, you have the team set to stay at one hotel. And this is, this is the men's team that Declan is referring to. This didn't happen with the women's team. But they're looking for bonuses that they claim they are owed. So money they are owed for taking part in the Women's World Cup and other events that they say they haven't been paid. Yet you look at how things played out with the men's side where you have them staying at here's the hotel for the team it's nice they'll be able to get a good sleep they'll be ready to play ready to represent their country and what happens well the nigerian soccer federation comes in with all of their buddies and says oh we don't have enough room ah yeah instead of saying hey buddies you guys should go and stay over by the motel 
off the freeway. Yeah, uh, no, no, we want a party. We want to have a good time. Let's take the players out and move them to the freeway. And then everybody gets mad when the team doesn't do very well. Unbelievable. But that's the kind, as Declan says, the kind of corruption that does take place. Very, very different world from what we're used to. Fortunately, uh, Soccer Canada and Canada Soccer, a little different. And Canada and Sweden will kick off at 3 o'clock. We'll follow that match for you throughout sports this afternoon. But I do want to take a minute and talk about Kawhi Leonard and the idea that there was a report that came out yesterday from Yahoo Sports. And that report did two things. First, it had people saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Kawhi Leonard has opted out of his contract. Don't worry about that because that's something that, that just happens. This, this is a guy who has an opportunity to sign a different contract. He has an opt-out clause. Players do this all the time. But what was reported by Chris Haynes is that Kawhi Leonard is seriously considering re-signing with the Toronto Raptors. And what this goes back to is a big congratulations to a guy like Masai Ujiri, to a guy like Nick Nurse, the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, for the way that they have dealt with things. And it's going to change sports. Every once in a while, something changes sports. With basketball, Steph Curry came in a little while ago. And he kind of changed sports in the way that he could shoot three-pointers. And you can credit other guys with being there, too. So instead of instead of trying to score two points, you try and score three. Do the math. It, it works out in your favor to score three instead of two, right? So it changed the way the game has been played. What has happened this past year with the Raptors is going to change the way the game is managed. And I think it'll go far beyond basketball. We've seen it a little bit, but now that you've got Kawhi Leonard as an example, who was brought in, and the Raptors would not play him in back-to-back games. He had an injury that he was coming off the year before, but really what the team was saying was, you're good enough, we're going to give you every advantage, we're going to give you rest, we don't want to burn you out, so you don't have to play in this game. The schedules in sports are too long. There are too many games. And yet, there's so much money tied into it, the leagues are not about to say, you know, playing 82 games in a year is dumb. We're going to play 50, because that's a better number. No one's going to say that, because you would lose out on millions of dollars. So that's not going to happen. But now teams have started saying, okay, well, with some of our players, we're going to make some changes. We're going to allow them to take some time off, call it load management, call it rest day, call it maintenance day, doesn't matter. But we're going to make sure they're fresh to give ourselves the best chance to win in the end. And what happened in the end? The Toronto Raptors won. So you have the third world problem of Nigeria and the first world problem of the Toronto Raptors. But in the end, Kawhi Leonard, he may sign back with Toronto because he knows how they treat people. And that goes to the organization, which may have changed the way that organizations deal with their star players from this point on. Oh, and of course, if Kawhi Leonard resigns in Toronto, we should never lose sight of the impact that one other man made. What kind of plant is that? It's a plant for Kawhi. It's a Kawhi plant. It's a Kawhi plant. It's a Kawhi cactus. Have a good night, man. Coactus. Coactus. I like it. It's a coactus. We should never underestimate plant guy who finally got his plant, well, a littler version of it, to Kawhi in the parade last week. Plant guy, if Kawhi resigns, 
I hope you're there on stage with him. I really do. We are going to talk about the Dirty Sneaker Program, a place to put shoes that you are not using anymore. And I guarantee you that you probably have some shoes that you are not using anymore. Well, this puts them to an incredible use. And it highlights something that maybe we don't think about enough. So that's coming up after news. And then David Saint-Jacques, Canadian astronaut, is going to return from space. And he's done something very interesting in his time in space. We're going to talk with Dr. Oz from Western University, Dr. Gord Ozinski, about what that thing is and what we're going to be able to learn from David Saint-Jacques being in space as long as he was. All of that plus more straight ahead on London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We'll talk about what happens when you're in space for a really long time. First, though, we want to talk about shoes that have been in your house, maybe in your garage, maybe in the basement, maybe stuck in a closet somewhere, and they've been there for a really long time. They can stay there, but there's a way to put those to better use. Sure, you could donate them, but right now, and really throughout the entire year, Runner's Choice has something called the Dirty Sneaker Program. And it is something that allows you to just head to Runner's Choice and kind of drop off your sneakers or your shoes, and then they take care of putting them into hands of people who need them. John Ferguson joins us from Runner's Choice. And John, if someone is no longer using a pair of shoes, like we just said, you have a place for those shoes to go. Unfortunately, in London, there's a lot of people that need shoes and even shoes that you're thinking you're done with as far as walking or running still have enough wear on them that someone that doesn't have any shoes or has shoes with holes and can use. So we collect them all year round, but certainly for our sale this week, uh, we have a lot of people coming in donating shoes and saving some money, and they go to places like the Men's Mission, the Women's Mission, Salvation Army. Um, we do have some that actually went overseas, but most of them stay in London to help people in London that could use a, a shoe that's better than one that they're wearing, let's say. And we have to look at it from, I guess, maybe a, a runner's perspective. When you're in a running shoe, like you say, you, you can wear it out as a runner, but the shoe is actually still really good. And if you buy a, a good quality shoe, it's going to be in, in really good shape. Where did this kind of come from? Well, we, um, we're in a new location now at um, Springbank and Berkshire, but we started the sale downtown London, and we've probably been doing the sale for about 25 years, and it's just an idea that we came up with, and uh, we thought we could help out the community as well as um, kind of initiate people to come in and say hi to us and see what we have as far as the store is concerned, but we like to give back to the community where we can. And um, It's interesting, when I'm uptown or a different place in London, you'll see some of maybe my old shoes or some friend of mine's old shoes on someone that uh, picked them up at uh, one of the places that uh, they can get shoes. So it kind of makes you feel good that they're being used and not thrown in a, in a dumpster or in a landfill or something like that. So let's outline it again. When you collect the shoes, where do you tend to take them? So um, we'll take them to, uh, we get asked by different agencies in London, but um, traditionally have gone to uh, my sister's place. Uh, the Women's Mission, the Men's Mission, Salvation Army, Goodwill, places like that. Uh, we'll take them, refurbish them a little bit ourselves, and then we donate them. Uh, the odd one can't be used, and it's beyond uh, 
anyone that could use it, but most of them get refurbished a little bit and then uh, given to people that need them in, in the city of London. John Ferguson joining us from Runner's Choice as we talk about the Dirty Sneakers program, which allows you to bring in old shoes that you aren't using and have them given to somebody who could make use of them. Is there any kind of checklist as to what is an acceptable shoe and what is not? No, we get asked that a lot, even though we're kind of a, a workout store, uh, running and walking, um, we'll accept any shoe. So we've had everything from sandals to winter boots um, to running shoes to walking shoes, so we won't say no to any shoe. Um, we'll donate them to the people that get them to the people that need them, and then between the two of us, there'll be some that uh, won't be usable, but um, it's amazing. Um, you know, I've certainly had some people walk into our store, ask for shoes that don't have any shoes on their feet, so it's a... Uh, Sad that uh, that happens in London, but there's certain people less fortunate than us that we want to be able to help out if we can. So we'll take any shoes at all. But you're able to say, you know what, we might be able to make that happen. Exactly. And uh, um, certainly for people anywhere, uh, shoes are one of the most important things for you. And certainly uh, for people who are less fortunate or on the street, um, shoes are a very important commodity and they get stolen and different things from them. But you need a good pair of shoes to walk anywhere you're going and certainly... Uh, they're important for everyone. And anyone who has had a chance to meet someone who is in a situation where they are homeless or they're making use of one of the missions or shelters knows that a lot of their day is spent walking. Exactly right. I, I uh, say that, you know, there are certainly some strong, tough people that are doing that, and uh, they have to keep their wits about them and be strong and walking around the city, and uh, they go certainly through shoes just as much, if not more, than we do. And Uh, We want to help them out and uh, make their life a little bit more comfortable in that way if it's something that we can do. John, give us that address one more time. It's 520 Springbank Drive, and it's right at the corner of Berkshire and Springbank. There's a little plaza there, and we have the last two units, and we're just going into our uh, end of our first year, and we welcome everyone to visit us at the new location. We certainly miss the downtown area, but uh, we have free parking in front of our store, so we welcome anyone to come and donate their shoes. We'll take anything all year round, but certainly this week, and save some money for yourself when you buy shoes. John, thanks for the time today. Sure, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks a lot. John Ferguson from Runner's Choice. So you think about that. If, if you are someone making use of a shelter, if you are someone who is homeless, you do spend so much of your day walking, and you wear out shoes, and then how do you get new shoes. This program allows that to happen. So 520 Springbank Drive in London, and that is at Runner's Choice. You can drop off any of your old shoes. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll talk with somebody who hasn't been walking at all for months. We're going to talk about Dr. Sorry, we're going to talk about, yes, Dr., but David Saint-Jacques, and we're going to look at what his trip into space has meant. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. My father-in-law used to tell a story. And it was about an experiment that he was doing. He was a psychology professor. And they were looking for someone who they could paralyze very slowly to see how the brain responded to the paralysis of the body. So they would take a drug that started to paralyze the body. And eventually when they got to the lungs, there was kind of a a little tap out signal and there was an antidote that they could use. And he and his colleagues started asking around, hey, 
we've uh, got this experiment we want to do. Uh, we need you to allow yourself to be paralyzed right on down to your lungs. Uh, Saturday at 10 work for you. No one came. No one wanted to do this. So ultimately, he had to do it. And he went through the experiment and he gave the signal and he got the antidote and they got the information they wanted and they made use of the data however they were making use of the data. Sometimes that's what you have to do. And we can look right now at David Saint-Jacques as being someone who is certainly going to be known for the work that he did in space, but he's going to be used for information now that he has returned because the Canadian astronaut is back on Earth and is looking to recover after about six months in space. So what exactly does that do to a body? Well, I, there are a lot of people eager to find out, including Dr. Gordon Osinski from Western University, who joins us now. Dr. Oz, how are things? Good afternoon, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, great to have you here. When you look at spending six months in space, that sounds like a, a long enough time to do anything, but what are the things that we might learn from David Saint-Jacques, given the amount of time he spent there? Yeah, you know, there's, there's been an incredible amount of uh, experiments that have been done and, and tests on both David Saint-Jacques and uh, his fellow astronauts, and of course, uh, they're not quite back on Earth yet. Uh, that whole process begins at four o'clock uh, this afternoon. So they got a, a bit of a trip yet, but, uh, you know, hopefully later on this evening, uh, David St. Jack and the two other astronauts will touch down in Kazakhstan. Now, there has been talk that they may even need help getting out of whatever their landing craft is. Yeah, it's something that most astronauts comment on, actually. You know, they're, uh, they're basically their bodies have now adapted to, to being in, um, you know, virtually zero gravity. And so... Uh, you know, when they when they land on Earth, they, uh, I think Bob Thirsk was quoted recently as saying, you know, it just felt like a, a wet rag had to basically sit there and wait for people to help them out of the, the seat that they landed in. So in being in space, obviously you don't have the effects of gravity. We might not realize the impact that gravity truly has on us. What sorts of things will they be looking at among these astronauts in terms of, of effects on their body? Sure. Um, I mean, and there's a lot of things, and in particular, too, because David, of course, is going to have set um, the, the new endurance record for Canadians in space at 205 days. So beating, uh, you know, Bob Thirsk and Chris Hadfield and just being up for that long is going to allow scientists to, to study a variety of things. Um, you know, bone loss and muscle loss are, well, fairly well known that they occur, but we're still understanding why and how. And then, you know, there's other things, too. This uh, The recent twin study by the U.S. astronauts, Scott and Mark Kelly, where one of them was up on the space station, you know, for a long time and one wasn't. And we're just beginning to understand, you know, some of the, the changes, even after a few months. So many things revert back to normal fairly rapidly. You know, David will be given a, an exercise regime and he'll gain back the, the lost muscle and bone. But uh, from this twin study, they were, they're figuring out that, you know, genes and DNA damage is, is continuing for a lot longer. So there's, there's still a lot of things we don't know about uh, long-duration spaceflight. Is there a chance that there is permanent damage that we may not know about? I mean, it would take a long time to, to determine that, but is that a possibility? 
Oh, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this, of course, why there's a lot of interest in these long duration studies now is, you know, we're hopefully going to be returning to the moon with astronauts, um, which is fairly close. But of course, going on to Mars, you know, uh, estimates are will be a two or two and a half year mission. And uh, beyond kind of reach of, you know, safety of the Earth, too. So there's a lot of things we still need to figure out. Dr. Gordon Nozinski joining us from Western University as we talk about the return later today of astronauts, but one of them being Canadian astronaut David Saint-Jacques to Kazakhstan and, and really to Earth. So in doing this, what are the astronauts putting themselves through if, if they're putting themselves at risk? Do they look at this and say, hey, I don't mind being this kind of a guinea pig because it could further whatever else is still to come? I think most astronauts would say that. And, you know, I have spent time with David, um, and it, it's absolutely what he says. You know, first of all, they're they're achieving their dream of flying in space. And so, you know, that's uh, that's obviously a big incentive for going up there. And then, again, if you've been following uh, David's tweets and updates from the space station, you know, they, they live an incredibly packed and busy life up there. And a lot of it is doing, you know, is carrying out experiments that, you know, people, scientists from around the world have, uh, have had flown up on the International Space Station. And so there's a lot of amazing science being done. David was responsible for doing a lot of that. And then, you know, as you say, there's going to be a lot of uh, tests done on him and studies done on him as he, how he's adapted while up there and now how long it takes for him to adapt to, to being back down on Earth. We have seen astronauts running on treadmills in space and, and keeping their cardiovascular fitness up to snuff, but is it even possible to weight train? Is there any way to get resistance in space? Oh, uh, yes. You know, and that's been one of the, the biggest adaptations, I'd say, in the last decade on the space station is, uh, you know, some, some pretty cool contraptions that they've uh, put together. Um, and, you know, I, I forget exactly, but it's two or three hours a day that all of these astronauts spend just exercising. But he's still, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's it's highly likely that David just won't have, uh, you know, the, the, the power to, to get out of his seat when he lands. So despite two or three hours of exercise a day, you know, he'll, he'll have undergone bone and muscle loss, his cardiovascular system will be affected. Um, and, you know, when we're... When we're planning to send uh, humans off to the moon and Mars. And then I always say, you know, we want them to, they're not going to have people to welcome them on Mars. You know, they're going to have to land and then uh, get up themselves and uh, make their way onto the surface. So, yeah, still lots to learn. And that's where I, these kinds of experiments and these long duration space flights are so important. Yeah, I guess if we look at how long it would take to get to Mars, you're looking at months and months and what is it, a nine month flight somewhere around there? Yeah, anywhere between six and nine months. And, um, you know, one of the bigger issues, which thankfully the International Space Station isn't subjected to because it's close enough to Earth, is radiation. Um, and, you know, that the you're going out into, you know, literally outer space, uh, well away from uh, the protection of Earth's uh, atmosphere and magnetosphere. And, uh, you know, radiation is a big one uh, still to, to try and tackle. Well, we really appreciate your insight on this, Dr. Oz. Enjoy the results that do start coming in, and all the best with your work. Thank you very much, Mike. And, uh, yeah, hopefully everyone will keep their fingers crossed for a safe descent uh, for David back to Earth in a few hours. Absolutely. Take care.
That is David Say, or that is Dr. Gordon Ozinski talking about David Saint Jacques, Canadian astronaut, due to arrive back in Kazakhstan on Earth, as Dr. Oz points out, just after four o'clock. We will take a break. Want to have a, a quick little chat about the NHL entry draft and the local content before we close out the show. Canada and Sweden are now in the tunnel, and they are getting set to take the pitch. At the Women's World Cup of Soccer, the winner moves on, the loser does not. Both coming off losses in their last matches in the group stage, but now it comes down to win it or your tournament ends. And we've got Londoner Shalina Zdorsky and Jesse Fleming all set to play for Canada. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. NHL entry draft held over the weekend and some really good area content. Now property of NHL teams. As far as Londoners go, Ryan Suzuki was selected 28th overall by the Carolina Hurricanes. May one day take part in a game of Red Rover or Duck Duck Goose after a Hurricanes win. I don't know if they'll still be doing that, but he will head for Carolina and a development camp very soon. So congratulations to Ryan Suzuki. Mason Millman, who plays for the Saginaw Spirit but is from London, went in the fourth round of the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers made some really good picks. This is a team to start to really pay attention to. You watch. Philadelphia Flyers get Mason Millman, excellent defenseman, had a great year with the Saginaw Spirit. And then a couple of London Knights, Connor McMichael goes to the Washington Capitals, 25th overall. And he's somebody who just has the ability to score and do the things that you need to do in order to win. And... You can never have enough of those guys. They show up on stat sheets, but at the same time, they do things and you just think, well, I, I can't get a number on that. Even with advanced metrics, no, you can't get a number on that. He just helps you to win. That's what Connor McMichael does. And then you've got Matt Guskov, who was taken in the fifth round to or by the Minnesota Wild. And Matt Guskov is a guy who this past year came over from Nizhnykamsk in Russia. And as you might imagine, it's a bit of an adjustment. Imagine if you moved to Nizhnykamsk. Uh, it takes a little while to learn the language. And it was, it was incredible to watch Matt Guskov go through that because he was very reluctant to say much of anything because he hadn't really mastered English. And he'd say a few words and he'd kind of chuckle at, at jokes and things like that. But then all of a sudden it was, yeah, you know, I, I live just near Victoria Park, which is a very nice park. And in my neighborhood, this happens and this. And all of a sudden he had a vocabulary of thousands of English words. So he was going through all of that. I can't wait to see what happens this year with him because he's someone who now has the culture down pat. Now it kind of focuses in on the hockey end of things. So Ryan Suzuki and Mason Millman. Both former London Junior Knights and Connor McMichael and Matt Guskov, both current members of the London Knights, have been drafted by NHL teams. And, of course, that doesn't stop anybody. I mean, they select seven rounds worth of players. After that, there's still always guys who wind up making it even though their name wasn't called at a draft. Thanks to Jacqueline Carbone for all of her help today. London Live is brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. News is on the way next with Jacqueline LaBelle. Matt Trevithick has traffic. We'll follow Canada and Sweden in sports as well. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.